This is Teach Play Love. The Bright Horizons Parenting Podcast just for ages 0 to 8. Get the advice you need from our own early childhood expert, Education Vice President Rachel Robertson. And make the most out of every chance to teach, play, and love. A short while back, we looked at children's nutrition and eating as the first of our two-part series on building healthy habits. Now for part two, we explore their physical development and well-being. Even though it seems like it naturally happens, the parent actually has a very big role to play in it. Rachel and Ruth discuss. Hi again, Ruth. Hi there, Rachel. How are you? I'm good. I am excited because today we're going to do part two of our focus on early childhood wellness. And I love this topic. I've written about it and thought about it quite a bit. And we're going to talk about how it connects with our goals for early childhood First, we started a conversation about nutrition and healthy eating habits, and now I want to start talking about physical development. Fabulous. And I've been thinking about our nutrition conversation, and I am so looking forward to this one. So where do you want to start, Rachel? First, let me clarify what I mean when I'm talking about physical development. There are two pretty broad categories. There's fine motor or small muscle, like grasping something or like a new baby holding a finger. And then there's large motor or large muscle, and this is walking or jumping to hopping. Actually, one of my favorite things to do is watch kids try to figure out how to hop. It's pretty comical. In both categories, much of this development progresses naturally, but also in both categories, it can be strengthened and usually needs to be strengthened and enhanced through some intentional development opportunities. Rachel, I just, I love that feeling I get when a baby holds my finger. It seems like such a loving gesture, but in reality, they're just working on their physical development. They're working on their physical development and connecting with you both. Both are happening. Okay. So that's, that's really fine motor skill. Talk to us a little bit about large motor development. Yeah, large motor development or large muscle, whatever you want to call it, is most closely related with health and wellness. But given its importance and linked to other development, I think actually it is worth our time to talk about both small and large motor development. All right. So we use the phrase whole child development a lot. And that term comes to mind when you mention both types, large and small motor development that they link to each other. That's right. Both link together. Yeah. It all links together. All development supports other development. It's important to know or to really keep that in mind that when we think about choosing between activities or the ways children spend time, we don't have to sacrifice one thing for the other. They're doing all of the development at once. In fact, when we ignore one aspect of development for another, this actually harms all development you know, we're realizing that children have lost a lot of the physical playtime in their lives and doing more and more sedentary activities using screen technology or having a lot of homework earlier than they ever did before. And we're seeing that this is not only affecting their physical development, but also social, emotional and cognitive development. Wow. Now we're onto something really interesting. Let's mentally take a dive into that connection. All right. Let's do that. Physical development is, I mean, just by itself, physical development is some of the most exciting stuff happening in the beginning of life. There is nothing like a baby who can roll over or take their first steps to get all the adults in the room pretty excited. 
And not only are adults excited, but the developing children are too. I mean, they're so thrilled with their newfound skills. Each milestone changes their life dramatically. Being able to reach out and grasp something in front of you is really complex for a baby. It changes their world. Going from sitting to crawling is, I'll use a little corporate speak here, it's a game changer, right? For the whole family, actually. But these physical development things happening in the early years are big deals. But along with that physical development is a whole lot of cognitive development that we can't see. That thinking and learning skills and social emotional developing are happening in synchrony with that physical development. You know, like I was saying earlier, that one area of development is prompting or supporting other areas of development. So I'll go back to that grasping example I just gave you. In really simple terms, the baby first has to develop the cognitive capacity to be interested and curious about something. They have to desire that thing. They have to want to grasp it. And then they have to figure out how to make their body and their brain connect. And then if it's a person that they're interested in reaching out to, like the finger you were talking about earlier, they're also building some relationship skills and social connections. That makes so much sense, Rachel. And I bet that's a new way for people to think about that experience. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite book titles is by Alison Gopnik called The Scientist in the Crib. When you just stop and think about it, those babies, those toddlers, those little ones are just genius stuff is happening in those early years. Most importantly, back to the fine motor skills, it's just really important to help support that development and value that development to understand how big of a deal it is and how important it is. I mean, we're using fine motor skills all the time. If you use a computer, if you write, if you have to hold a scissors, hold your silverware, we're always using fine motor skills. So like I said earlier, these things, most of them are naturally developing, but children can be challenged by these skills if they don't get the right support and developmental opportunities. If you watch, you can almost see the complementary development happening when you're looking at children, like something like scissors. Like when they're using scissors, they're thinking about what they want to use it for. They usually have a master plan of something they're trying to do with those scissors or whatever they're trying to cut. A lot of times they have to persevere. They have to figure out how to use them. They try different angles. This is kind of overcoming mistakes and errors. There's some scientific reasoning going on there, problem solving, language development, building confidence. All of this good stuff is happening when we just think they're just using some scissors. Yeah, I totally have a picture in my mind of of my child trying to learn to use the scissors and their mouth is moving exactly in pace with the way they're squeezing those scissors or tying their shoes and watching how carefully they try to do it. it takes a lot of patience on their part and on the parent's part as well. So let me ask you this. In our toddler rooms at Bright Horizons, we use quite large crayons and paper to help develop motor skills. So what are some things that we can use at home? Do we have to have special equipment? I mean, that's a good example. In that large crayons and large paper, you're meeting them where they are developmentally. They don't have a super fine grasp at that point. So you're giving them a larger crayon to handle their grasp and making sure that they can feel that success. That It's not about getting something right or wrong, but that they can grow and they're practicing and using skills and they feel good about what they're doing. 
And you absolutely don't have to buy anything to make this happen. I mean, just go for a walk and pick up things up outside, picking up sticks, different size sticks, picking up leaves, trying to pick up leaves after a rain. That's That takes some dexterity. Getting dressed, letting them, and I'm going to say this, understanding the level of patience it requires from adults, but letting them get dressed. Practice with buttons, snaps, zippers. Sometimes you've seen those, most people have seen those, what's referred to as like a busy box where there's like beads or things to fiddle with or even dolls or a, a board that has locks and door handles and, and all sorts of things. Um, those, those are easy to make at home. Those are great. Kids have tons of fun with those. But stringing beads is a great thing to do. Even just getting out like containers you have and having kids putting lids on them, matching laundry, all of that is really great for fine motor development. Those are really great ideas, Rachel. Earlier, you talked about a concern related to a reduction in the amount of physical play. Are there concerns related to fine motor as well? Yes. Yeah. In general, children are getting a lot less time to develop physical skills. And like I said earlier, we're seeing some negative results of that. Fine motor, we're seeing that in some writing and reading development. And I don't think you'll be surprised that screens are part of this issue. And screens are part of the issue because they're taking time up that is has doesn't have value. And they're using that time that used to be time spent doing things of value. So if you're outside playing and picking things up, you're getting a lot of valuable motor development and muscle development. So if you're inside looking at doing something sedentary and looking at a screen, none of that's happening. Anytime you're thinking about a screen, instead thinking about how you could do something else that might feel like it's using time, but it's also building physical development. And we know, we know now, we've been talking about that at the same time, social, emotional, and cognitive development is happening. So just, you know, keep some yarn and large beads in a bag, or I used to have a bag that I would get out for restaurants with cards or little activities, like even tracing, tracing hands, matching size hands. If you're at a restaurant, trace everything on the table. Keep busy doing that. So much good stuff happening, so much good development happening there. You don't even need that screen. You know, I've talked a lot in different episodes about what we're trying to do and what we're trying to raise children to be successful adults. So all of this stuff you're doing when they're little about manual dexterity and small motor skills are, is essential for those manual dexterity skills they need in the future. Just writing, writing alone or typing that they'll have to do. Who knows what kind of devices we'll be using in the future, but it's really important. And that's where we're seeing a challenge is kids struggling with writing because they're not getting enough small motor exercise or practice. And then while I'm talking about writing, I'm also going to put in a plug for reading books here as well, because turning pages is a great fine motor skill practice. And reading real books is really good for literacy and reading development, much better than learning on a screen. So that, that's like a two for one. You're doing some good reading development and you're getting some manual dexterity practice. A two for one is a great idea. And even infants with those board books will work to turn that page. They are intrigued by that whole idea of that page flipping over. Yeah. If you read a book, board book with infants, they're not even interested in what you're saying. They're just really excited about turning the page sometimes. That's all that they want to do. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about the large motor skills. This makes me think about running on a playground or playing on a soccer team, those kinds of things. Yep, you got it. That's exactly what it is. 
large motor is what we think of when we think of fitness or physical activity, along with the very closely related cognitive skills or cognitive kind of physical require both skills like balance, coordination, control, things like that. So again, as a family, how can we support that large motor development? Is it just ensuring they have time to play? I mean, that's a big part of it. That's the most important part is making sure they have time to play. Play is the antidote. Free, unstructured, go out and run, pick things up, create things, make forts, make bridges for little toys you have out there. Whatever you're doing, use your imagination. Have at it. Play is the antidote for not not just the development of the skills and body, but in the enjoyment of physical activity. I mean, that's so important. If we think about it into adulthood, you want people to, we all need to stay active. And the best way to do that is because we like to stay active. But anytime we have to be active and we don't want to, it's so much harder. So if everybody listening and all of us are staunch advocates of adequate playtime, then we'll be in great shape. That's fabulous. It can happen quite naturally as long as we provide time for it. And kids, they just move so much when they're playing. They're up and down at different levels while they're playing. They're stretching out to reach just the right Lego that they need or reaching across the garden. I was just watching my my grandson just reach out way, way far to try to pick that last carrot. And there's just so much activity uh, and large motor development then. Ruth, you're bringing up a really good point about play that I want I want to spend a moment on here is this idea of risk in physical activity and play. And it is so valuable. And so when children have time to play, the time and the space to play and the permission really to be imaginative, they take some risks. And this is very important. I want to differentiate risk from hazard. Risk doesn't mean it's dangerous. Risk means doing something that you don't know if you can do it doing something different, taking a chance. It is an important, critical life skill. And this is the perfect time for it to happen. You figure out what you're made of. You figure out what you're capable of because you want something, you're going after it, you're figuring it out, you're problem solving. So if there's a maybe like a little rock that they want to climb on and jump off of and it's you know a foot off the ground, that's a safe risk. That's not a hazard. That's a safe risk as long as you know they're not jumping into something dangerous. So as parents, valuing that risk and understanding why kids need to be able to have some of that in their play and minimize the amount of time we're saying, oh, be careful, you're going to get hurt. Here's all the things to be worried about when you go play because then they won't take risks and then they will lose the ability to figure that out about themselves. Again, differentiate risk from hazard. There are some times you do need to worry or caution them as parents, but teaching them to think that through and assess the situation themselves is also another good skill. Can you give us some more examples of risks? You talked about jumping off of a, a small rock onto a flat surface, like climbing a small tree, risk or hazard, do you think? Depends on the child. Right. So you want to, you could ask a child about, you know, what would make this dangerous and help them think that through and then allow them to explore some of those things. So some of it's not about a, like a physical conquest. Some of it's about um, doing something different with each other, trying something new, like skipping rocks in the water. If you don't know if you can do that, you're taking a bit of a risk. You're trying something new is maybe it's a small rock. Maybe it's a large rock. Just putting yourself out there, trying different things. 
and not worrying about keeping kind of childhood sanitized. We want to make sure that children are able to try things as much as possible. Sanitizing their world, that just sounds, sometimes it sounds like the safe thing to do, but it also sounds like not the best thing to do. It seems like getting really messy and playing in the dirt and all of that stuff, that was the fun part of childhood for me. And I think for my kids as well, that making mud pies with seeds or pods or rocks or leaves that you collect or long beachcombing walks, looking for that perfect sand dollar. Kids will walk for miles. That's That's got to be good for motor skill development as well, large motor skill. Exactly. You're hitting on something that I think is really important is the people that are enjoying nature and feel safe in it and want to explore and find the beauty in it are also the people that are being very physically active in it. So if you think of those that we see protecting the earth or hiking or doing doing a lot of things around being engaged in, in outdoors are people that had these experiences in their childhood. There's a direct connection with people that do these things in their childhood and have these opportunities and those that are are doing the same, both enjoying nature and then being physically active in it. And I'll say too, as just a segue, because you brought up some good examples, connections with nature is another thing that has a lot of other developmental benefits and in the same as physical play. So things that we often talk about struggling with, like getting children to pay attention or have focus or maybe feeling like they have too much energy or hard to get them to sit still should always think about if we have the right expectation, but a lot of that is taken care of and develops better when children have time to be outdoors and play in nature, but also get a lot of experiences with physical activity. All right. So we see there's a great value in physical activity. How do we incorporate it into our family life, whether it's out in nature or indoors? How do we manage that? It's a common suggestion I make, but it is because for good reason, is role modeling. So thinking about your own approach to physical activity, including what you do and what you say. So if you do exercise, are you kind of moaning and groaning about it or are you exhilarated and talking about it? Are you trying new things? Are you saying like, oh, I'm just no good at sports or I can't do it? They're learning from that as well. They're also listening for comments about maybe focused on weight or body image. So do you want to be encouraging and thoughtful and supportive of efforts because you don't want them to internalize something that they don't even fully understand. So a valuable part of role modeling is even trying these things together and, and you know, kind of just laughing and having fun no matter how good you are at something or not. But role modeling this idea of always staying active, always trying new things and appreciating and enjoying physical activity. Rachel, this summer I started a water aerobics class and I was talking to my granddaughters about it. And then a week or so later, we ended up at a pool together and they asked me to show them some of the things I do in water aerobics. And within moments, they were creating moves. We were doing synchronized swimming. We were laughing so hard we could barely stand up. It was a really fun activity based on my sharing about my new exercise program. Yeah, what a great thing to share with your grandchildren and what what a fabulous role model. My children are seeing that with their grandmother as well as she's still very physically active and trying new things. And it is inspiring for them and a role model that I and my children are really excited that we have in our lives. So let me talk about physical development and just clarify that there are different types of activity and it's good for children to experience all of them. So 
just like adults, there's strength development with specific muscle development. There's flexibility and agility. There's cardio and endurance. A lot of this is just happening through just activity, but it happens a lot through sports or active games. I mean, when children are really young, we want them to have multiple and diverse experiences. Earlier and earlier, children are starting to specialize in like a specific sport. And this is actually pretty hard on their development because they're over focusing on some muscles and under focusing on others. So having a lot of diversity in the activities they're engaged in is good. And so this is where some purposeful activities come in. So free play is great and doing things like going swimming or going on a hike or trying a sport together has really great value as well. That sounds great, Rachel. But what if you have a child who kind of really prefers being indoors and not being active? Yeah, really good question. I know that's a challenge sometimes. So for this circumstance, and you know, in general, we've been talking about doing physical activity as a family. So just kind of add it to your routine. Maybe you can walk somewhere together versus driving somewhere together or park further away or go somewhere that requires some walk as part of it. Don't think about it as a chore or a punishment and also don't take it away as a punishment. But, you know, something as simple as a Sunday morning bike ride or participating in a couple walkathons, maybe a family jump rope or a hula hoop contest could be fun or go out and learn a sport together. Everybody pick up a tennis racket and go bat a tennis ball around together and just laugh and have fun and enjoy it together. And then it's not about being outdoors all the time, but this, then the focus becomes on something to do together as a family, rather than just saying, go outside and play. That sometimes is easier for children who are a little hesitant. I'll tell you, driveway basketball was the game of choice at our house. Yes, driveway basketball is a really fun game. And so on the topic of games, games are really good for kids for, again, like everything I'm talking about, it's not just physical development, but other things. Games actually support a lot of cognitive development because they have children have to figure out the rules and be flexible and adjust their behavior. I'm going to take duck, duck, and I'm going to say gray duck because I'm from Minnesota, but I know lots of people say goose. I'll acknowledge that. Um, or, or something like the limbo, for example. Those games can be really fun. Just think of a children have to make a choice. There's, it's like exhilarating to be part of it. They're trying something that they're not sure that they can do. There's a suspense. There's intrigue. There's excitement. And there's physical activity. And sometimes like that's the last thing anyone's thinking about because they're so engaged in the game. The one thing I do want to mention is that when children in these kinds of games, when they get out, they stop being active. There's a very strong feelings about whether we should let children win at things or whether we make everybody get a trophy. And I'm, I'm staying away from that controversy. But what I'm just saying is think about the goal of the activity. And something like limbo, if you fall when you're going under and then you're out and everybody else gets to keep trying, the bummer here is that that child doesn't get to keep trying and doing some physical development. So how can you tweak these games to keep children engaged and, and keep them trying and keep them having fun with that physical activity, those physical challenges. You know, if you think of like a Simon Says, this is such an easy game, no supplies needed or something like red light, green light, all of these I've mentioned so far, no supplies needed. All of them require children to use cognitive development. They are stopping, they are starting, they are, they are controlling impulses, they're changing their behaviors, they're remembering instructions. 
they're adjusting to new circumstances. Valuable cognitive development for all situations and happening right alongside really fun, great physical development. It's like a two for one again. Children not only get the physical development, but also the social skills and cognitive skills uh, while they're playing those games. Great all the way around. Yeah, I think you actually, that's a three for one because you're getting those social skills, cognitive skills and physical development. And maybe a fourth that you're having so much fun while it's all happening. It's interesting that lots of this happens naturally, and yet families should also focus on this as well. Yeah, I mean, I think in our first instinct is to think, especially if our kids get enough play already, if, we, if we're if we confident that when they're at school, they're getting a good amount of time in recess, and they get time after school, and they get time when they're with us, and we're a pretty physical family, that, that we don't have to think about it, but it does need a lot of intentional focus, just as a community, as as a culture, the statistics tell us that children need us adults to focus on physical development very intentionally. Children's sedentary time has gone up, and along with it, physical and developmental and behavior challenges are going up too. So if we're worried about behaviors, if we're worrying about challenges, we need to look to the amount of time children have to play. That has to be the first thing we look at when we're diagnosing what's going on. Childhood is absolutely the right time for children to experience as many joyful, physical, active, and carefree moments as possible. Even though your child will develop gross motor and fine motor skills naturally, support from parents can really make a big difference in their growth. As you heard Rachel say, it can be as simple as making sure they have time to play, play freely, and have fun. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to us and find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time on Teach, Play, Love and Rediscover Parenting as a Joy It Was Meant to Be.